your Bible with me, then turn to the book of Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, this is an ongoing vision that John has. The door of heaven was opened in chapter 4, and he's invited to come up and see, and he's telling us the things that he sees for our edification. Jesus wants him to write these things down so that the church can have a record of it and that we might see with the eyes of faith what John saw. Revelation chapter 5. And we'll read the entire chapter. Let's give our attention to God's word. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the, thr- on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's bow together. Father, our prayer this morning is that we would see this Christ in truth as he is, and that seeing him, Lord, would would transform us into his likeness. We thank you so much, Jesus, that you desire that we would see you, and, and we ask the Spirit then to give us the eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Boys and girls, I'd like to uh, just ask you a question as we start this morning. My, uh, my question is, is simple. What if your mother ran the world? Uh, you, you might think she already does, um, but what if she actually ran the whole world? Uh, boys and girls, do you think your mom loves you? 
Uh, I think most of you say, yeah, she, she, I, I'm pretty sure she loves me. Well, what if your mom, who loves you, who takes care of you, provides for everything you need, what if she actually ran the entire world so that nothing could ever happen to you except by way of your mother who loves you? Think of how that might uh, change your perspective on things. You don't need to be afraid of anything. Your mom runs the world. Uh, well, uh, big boys and girls need to remember this as well, that uh, the one who runs the world actually knows us and loves us so much that he gave his life for us. I'd like you to think about your life this past week. Uh, think about um, the things that you were anxious about. What, what caused you to worry this past week? What, what were the things that made you afraid this past week? What were the temptations you faced? What were the sins you committed? What, what actually happened in your life this week? What were the things that you cried about? What were the things that you rejoiced about? You see, this letter and this text is meant for our real life because we need to see the reality of Jesus. I'm convinced that the remedy for every fear and, and the grace for every failure and the cure for every temptation is found in our text this morning. Actually seeing Jesus as he is in his glory is the cure for all that is weak and fallen within us. And, and I take that conviction from the Word of God. Uh, John, the same John who's writing this um, these visions, this account, he wrote in his first epistle, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, he says, Beloved, we're God's children now, and, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Why? Because we shall see Him as He is. Um, John believes that seeing Jesus as He is will immediately make us like Jesus. Every, you see, desire for sin within you will be instantly and forever eradicated from your heart as you are enraptured by the beauty and the glory of Jesus. Seeing Jesus as he is will remove all fear and all doubt and all anxiety as you see and truly understand the glory of his power, and the infinite depth of your security in him forever. No one will see Jesus on that last day. No believing person will see and receive the truth and the beauty and the glory of Jesus and be unchanged. Seeing Jesus is the cure. And though we do not now see him face to face, here in Revelation chapter 5, we have the most comprehensive and clear view of Jesus as he actually is right now in glory that we have in all of Scripture. Jesus himself invites John to come to heaven and he opens the door so that John can see him and Jesus says, write it down. Because this is a message for the church. Jesus wants you to see him as he is in his glory. If you're a child of God this morning, there's nothing you desire more than that. Is there, is there anything that you desire more than to see the truth and the glory of Jesus? 
And if you're not converted this morning, there's nothing greater that you need. You need to see the reality of Jesus. You need to see it today while you can repent and call out in his name and be saved rather than on the last day where you will cry out for the hills to cover you. We need to see Jesus. Nothing will more radically or powerfully alter and change our life. Well, let's go to the text this morning. John presents us first with a crisis in heaven. He says, uh, I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on back sealed with seven seals. Uh, what is that scroll about? Well, it's, uh, it would be uh, commonly known to the readers of uh, first century here that, that uh, legal documents were often um, presented just this way, a scroll, there weren't books yet, but a scroll, and sealed with wax uh, because it's very important. And, and legal wills and documents particularly would be sealed with wax. So someone, uh, someone writes out a will, just like we do today, and uh, then they seal that will so no one can tamper with it. And they appoint an executor of the will so that when they die, that appointed person and that appointed person alone has the right to break the seal and to open the scroll and, and then is responsible to carry out the will of the deceased as written in the scroll. That's what we have here. What John sees in the right hand of God is, in a sense, the last will and testament of God. These are the decrees of God for the church and for this world. And we're going to see when the, when the scroll is opened, starting in chapter 6 and moving forward, we're going to see those decrees being carried out as God judges um, what is evil and redeems and rescues his church. So the scroll is about the redemptive purposes of God in human history. But the vision centers on a crisis. Who is worthy to be the executor? Who's, who is worthy to open the scroll and to carry out the decrees? It is, it is the most profound question and critical crisis of all of human history. If, if the purposes of God are going to unfold, then someone needs to open the scroll and carry out those purposes. And so an angel cries out with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And John waits with bated breath. Who will step forward? And no one steps forward. Not a single person. There's just deafening silence. No, no one in all the world, notice the, the, the call goes out, uh, and no one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth, no one at all is able to open the scroll or to look into it. It's a devastating indictment on Adam and his, and his race. Scholars estimate that, uh, that there has been uh, 108 billion people who've inhabited this earth. And not a single one of 108 billion, not, not one person is found who's worthy. And, and it's an indictment when you understand the calling of Adam in the beginning. Adam was called to be the vice regent of God, the one who would exercise God's dominion in this new world and to wage war with Satan and his hosts. That's his calling. That's his mandate, his mission. 
But now as the call goes out over all this lost human race, there's not a single obedient image bearer of God that can be found. There's just silence. Adam has fallen, has betrayed his calling, and all the 108 billion of his descendants have followed suit. In Adam, they have all fallen. There is no one then who does good, not even one. That's the judgment of Scripture on the human race. Not a single person made in the image of God is found worthy and able to carry out the commission that God had given to Adam. And so John says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. John, you see, sees the implications of this deafening silence, and he's devastated. The, the word weep in the, in the Greek is followed by the superlative many or much. So he's, he, there's not just a few tears trickling down his face. This is, this is an old man who is with broken heart bawling, pouring out his grief and his anguish with unrestrained sobs of distress as he looks out over an unredeemed and unredeemable world. It's striking to note that John's weeping here follows a, a pattern that we see in Scripture. When you ask why do uh, God's people weep, particularly prophets, you'll find they weep over the lost condition of other people. So when Jesus, he, he, we only have two accounts of Jesus weeping. One is at the tomb of Lazarus as he weeps for the bondage of sin and death and unbelief that, has, uh, that's, that he finds everywhere around as the crowd gathers around. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But, but Jesus is weeping because of the brokenness and the sin and the blindness and death all around him. And then he weeps in Luke chapter 13 as he looks over Jerusalem. And Jesus is weeping, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You stone the prophets and kill those sent to you. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus weeps for the lost plight, the unbelief, the bondage, the blindness, and the death that grips his people. When does Paul the apostle weep? Well, he weeps in Romans 9, verse 2. He says, I promise you before God that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart because of the stubborn blindness and unbelief that grips the Jewish people. In Philippians 3, chapter 8, he grieves for the Gentile world. He says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Their God is their belly, their end is destruction. There's something about true godliness that weeps over the plight of a lost, sinful world. What are the things that we weep about? We generally weep about things that affect us, that impact us, that cause us sorrow. And, and it's not that it's inappropriate to weep about those things. But, but the more you see you're gripped by the purposes of God and the glory of God and His right to be worshipped, and the more you're gripped by the value of those made in His image and the, and the devastating, hopeless plight of a Christless world, the, you see, the more you'll begin to weep for those things. If, if, the, if the scrolls are not opened, 
Do you recognize that? That means, that means that the redemptive purposes of God come to naught. No one is rescued. No one is redeemed. God is not glorified, and the devil wins. Beaky writes, he weeps because he knows there will be no salvation for God's people, no coming of God's kingdom, no hope for the human race unless someone can accomplish the purposes of God and fulfill his promises. Have you, have you ever seriously contemplated a Christless world? So many of, you, of us are born and raised in the church, and we're, we just grow up hearing the story, the gospel story. But what if that was just all a fable? What if death and sin and evil was all there really was? What if there was no incarnation? No word made flesh. It just, it just never actually happened. What if there were no gospels? No story to be told of, of a Christ and his life and death and resurrection and ascension. What if the world that we actually live in had never been invaded by the sovereign redemptive power and purposes of God in Jesus Christ? What if there really was no Christmas and no cross and no Christ? And so there will be no judgment against the devil, no, no vindication of those who've been wronged, no redemption for the elect, no forgiveness for sinners, no justification, no reconciliation, no resurrection from the dead, no new heaven and new earth. All that there is is death and judgment for sinners. That's all. That's it. You see, then all that we really have is abysmal despair. Bertrand Russell, famed British atheist, was asked, he was in his 90s, he was asked on British radio that if after spending his adult life denying the existence of God, he was asked, well, what do you, you know, as you're facing death now, what, what do you hang on to now? What do you, what do you have to hang on to now in your, in your last years? And, and he replied, I have nothing to hang on to but grim, unyielding despair. At least he's, he's honest. D.A. Carson makes the point that most people are less honest. We just ignore the question. We deny the reality of God and just live our lives consuming without ever really facing the ramifications of a Christless world. So John weeps because he, he sees a, a world without a loving Lord. He sees sinners without a Savior. There's no executor for God's plan for judgment. There's no one to redeem this world. It, it, it's all loss. It's all loss. I hope you feel the weight of, of that, that we, that we sense the crisis that means for, for us if there's no Christ. Because that makes the good news so beautiful. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So in, in, in all the world where 108 billion people had failed, there is one among all the sons of men who is worthy and the, and, the, and the elder says, look, John, see, dry your tears. 
See the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. Those are both prominent messianic titles that we find in the Old Testament. And uh, let me just give you an example. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. That's exactly what John sees. He sees a king enthroned, just like the prophet said. He sees the nations gathered around him, people from every tongue and tribe and nation gathered together around the throne, worshiping the lamb, the lion who has conquered. Uh, he has triumphed. There's been a battle against sin and death, and the lion has won. That's magnificent news, right? Let the dancing begin. That's the most fantastic news you'll ever hear in your, in your entire life. Because that means, you see, a, a door has been opened through death and sin and hell. It means that human history is not bound to the failure of Adam, but it is linked to the victory of this king, the victory of Jesus. And the elder wants John to see it. Dry your tears. Lift up your eyes. Behold. Look. See. The king, the conqueror, the lion of Judah. And you can imagine the old man drying his tears and turning to look and see this magnificent lion. And so he turns and, and he sees a lamb. A lamb standing in the midst among the elders, among the church. Uh, standing before the throne and, 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 and looking as though it had been slain. This is a, a direct reference to Old Testament sacrifices where a lamb would be taken, its neck would be pulled back, its throat would be slit, and all the blood would pour out all over its body, all over that white wool. That's what John sees as he sees a lamb with the unmistakable signs of having been ceremonially sacrificed. And John knows this lamb. John used to be a disciple of John the Baptist. John the, uh, John the Apostle began his ministry as a disciple of John the Baptist. And one day they were walking along and John the Baptist, his rabbi, pointed to a man coming their way and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John the Apostle left following John the disciple, uh, John the, the Baptist, and went and followed this Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not really knowing what that was all about then, but coming to find out. And the, John uses then that, that term, the Lamb, it's his favorite term for Jesus in the book of Revelation. He uses it 28 times. He loves this Jesus. Remember, he has seen the lamb be sacrificed. John was there at the cross. Of all the apostles, John was there. He saw the nails driven through his hands. He saw the sword, the spear uh, go into Jesus' side. He saw the blood and water pour out. He saw the sacrifice. He saw the dead body. He, he, he saw the tomb. He had seen it with his own eyes, the sacrifice of this lamb. And he had seen the victory. He'd seen the empty tomb. He'd seen the resurrected Christ many times. He'd seen the glorious ascension of this Christ into the heavens. 
And can you imagine then the joy that he must have felt as his eyes in this vision settle on his beloved Jesus, now in his exaltation, the man of sorrows reigning at the right hand of God, the Lamb of God who gave his life now reigning over this whole world as victor over Satan and over sin and and all the hosts of hell. And how this old man must have rejoiced to see Jesus and, and then in his heart participating in the coronation ceremony. Jesus, verse 7, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Jesus goes to his Father God and, and takes the scroll. This is the glory of Christ. Remember, a will is enacted only after someone has died, and there's an inheritance that needs to be distributed. Well, the executor is the living person who makes sure that the will of the deceased is carried out, and Jesus is both the deceased and the living executor. He is the one who died, thus freeing an inheritance, and now he is the living one who ensures that his inheritance will be dispersed exactly according to his will. That the blessings procured on the cross and in the tomb and and as he was raised to life, all those blessings and benefits would be given infallibly to all those whom Jesus chose to give them. That nothing could come between the will of Jesus, the one who died, nothing could stand between uh, the blessings he procured to be given to you because Jesus is the executor of the will. And he does so with all authority and all power as the Lord of heaven. Again, friends, what do we have to fear if that's true? And the song then that, that is the response to this victory and this revelation of Jesus, verses 8 through 14. So following the coronation of Christ... You have ever-increasing bands of praise. First the four creatures and the 24 elders. And then thousands and myriads of thousands of angels. And then everything in creation joining in. Notice quickly, the church goes first. And of, of all the creatures and all the participation, the church sings. Did you notice The angels say, and the creatures say, and the church sings. Who would would be more appropriate to sing than the church, right? Who, like me, his praise should sing? The redeemed. And so you see the, the, the four living creatures and the 24 elders representing the church of all ages each holding a harp that's not, uh, you know, don't have pictures of people in, in heaven on clouds playing harps. harp. Harp is the instrument of joy. And they take their instruments of joy and they sing. They sing a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. The church sings first. The, the special creation of Jesus Christ created to sing his praise, his worth. 
And the church sings specifically because about the crucified Christ. Notice, they do not worship and revel in Jesus as the great teacher. They do not celebrate him as the moral example. They celebrate a sacrificed lamb, a crucified Christ who was slain and by his blood purchased men for God. The church has no song apart from the sacrificial atoning blood of Jesus Christ. As we, as we think of Jesus and worship Jesus and praise Jesus, this is his honor. Don't we dare lessen that by making him something other than the conquering lamb. The conquering lamb. The sacrificed lamb. Worship Jesus because of what he actually did for you, the sinner. What he actually did for a fallen world. What he actually accomplished for the glory of God in his life and death and resurrection and exaltation. The church sings first and we sing about a sacrificed Jesus. And the angels join in. Myriads and myriads. Worthy is the lamb who was slain thunderous anthem to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise, a sevenfold response of worship and praise to the Lamb. And then all of creation, verse 13, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Creation cannot help itself. In the presence of this Christ, in the, in, in, in the presence of his victory, the angels and creation chant his praise while the church sings as the priests of God. And friends, remember, John's recording this for our benefit. This Jesus is, is the real Jesus, right? This, this lion, if you're, if you're a Christian, this lion is your Lord. This lamb is your Savior. John wants you to see him. Jesus wants you to see him. And our call, our responsibility is to respond in faith. We cannot look at this and say, that is really interesting. You cannot see Jesus as he is, as he's revealed in his word, and just be mildly intrigued. Because that would be unbelief. Our response is to follow the four living creatures and the elders. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. Means so be it. it. It means we believe it. We submit to it. We approve of it. We receive this in faith. We trust this in truth. Amen. Yes, so be it, God. Let me ask you this morning. What difference would it make in your life if God were actually sovereign? What difference would it make in your attitude if the Son of God really had come to earth because he loved you and he really had given up his life in order to rescue you and that he really is now seated at the right hand of God ordaining every single event and detail of your existence to bring you eternal joy. What, what if that were actually true? Now think about the life you lived this past week. If this were actually true, doesn't that mean we can let the anxiety and the fears go? 
in truth? Isn't it true, if, if, if this is true, isn't it true that someone actually has it? That someone with the power and the authority actually does control the circumstances of your life and that you don't need to be afraid of anything? If, if, if this is actually true, it will feel like, you see, the burden of weight and the responsibility that you carry on your shoulders to keep everything together, to keep the world, right, your world functioning and working, it'll just, it'll just drop away. It's not what Jesus has called you to do. He's called you to look up and see the one who actually holds it. And to actually trust that he knows what he's about and he loves you. And if it doesn't feel like weight falling off your shoulders, then you haven't experienced it yet. You haven't seen it yet. If this is actually true, if this is actually true, won't we laugh more at ourselves? And laugh more at the goodness, the astonishing, overflowing, abounding goodness of God to us? Won't, won't it just make you laugh out loud? That the living God of heaven and earth is so good to you, so kind to you, so patient with you, that he loves you so much and blesses you with so much, not just in this life, but he promises you a new heaven, a new earth where you will reign with him. He's made you a kingdom of praise to his God. Won't we laugh more if that's true and fear less if it's true? And find that we start weeping for different things, that we, it just breaks our heart to see people made in the image of God, blind to the glory of God, blind to the door that's been opened for them in Jesus Christ. So that changes how we pray and what we pursue. And we worry less about our misfortunes and a lot more about those who don't know Jesus. What if it were all true? Well, friends, it's all true. God has not revealed himself in vain. It's all true. And we need to own it and believe it and receive it to the marrow of our bones. We need to take it to every place in our life where we deny it's true. Take it to your besetting sin. Take it to your weakness and your fear. Take it to your shame. Take it to your failure. Take this Jesus in all his glory, in all of his truth, in all of his power, in all of his love, and all that is going to happen because of him. Take it to your heart. Remember, this is being written to a church that's suffering. This is being written to a church that's experiencing persecution. They know what sorrow and loss looks like. And they need to know that human history, their history, is not being written by the emperor in Rome. It's being written by the hand of a sovereign, loving God who gave his own son. And that son gave his life. And that son now reigns and enacts all the perfect purposes and goodness of God. His name is Jesus. And he's actually running the world. And so we need to simply believe it, to lean into it. To every day say again, amen. Amen. Jesus reigns, amen. So be it, Lord. So be it, Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, God in heaven, forgive us our unbelief in the face of your revelation. We're ashamed that we've doubted you so much, trusted you so little. 
loved a thousand things more than Jesus. And oh God, have mercy on us. But we thank you that we can pray this prayer standing in grace. We thank you, Lord, that we can, we can, we can beg that you would show us this Jesus so that we, we experientially know that, that our King died for us and rose again to reign on our behalf for our eternal joy and that nothing can happen to us except by his good purposes and will. And that even, Lord, when we don't understand and when it's awful hard and heartbreaking, that underneath our everlasting arms and we're going to be okay in Jesus. I pray, Lord, for any here this morning who do not know Christ, that they would realize that to not know Jesus Christ is to know nothing but despair and death. No matter what entertainments or attractions the world can offer, they are fleeting and will quickly fly away. And so, Lord God, today... Press this truth upon our hearts. Bring us to faith, true faith. Lord, I pray for your anxious saints. We would experience this truth as freedom from fear. And for your, your, your saints who are full of shame and struggling with sin, I, oh God, I pray that they would see in the victory of Jesus their victory over sin. And that the temptations would lose their power as we look into the face of Christ. And for those who are grieving, may the victory of Christ over death and hell give us confidence and comfort that we are not our own, but we belong to him, our faithful Lord and Savior. In body and soul, in life and in death and forever. Oh God, we want to believe. Help us to see. And then every day to say amen. Amen to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Let's close by singing together song of our faith. There is a higher throne than all this world has known. Let's stand together.